have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 22 and Matthew 28, and we'll get to uh, those passages here later. Luke 22 and Matthew 28 is, is your best chance at following along. As I mentioned, um, or as you know, this is a topical teaching series. Very uncharacteristic of us here at The Journey. We typically just get into a book of the Bible and stay there for sometimes years until we get through it. Um, but we wanted to take, a time, take time to talk about different aspects of corporate worship, what it means to, to do church. What is this? You know, I was talking to a very enthusiastic hunter here uh, not long ago, someone who's just very passionate about hunting. They had all the gear. They had all the guns. They had the secret spot that no one got to know about. And, and uh, they, 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 you know, where they feed the deer all year long, like practically out of their hands, and then show up that one day and kill them all. <laughs> you know, very passionate uh, about his hunting. And he, he didn't go to church, but he was trying to get me to understand how much hunting meant to him in terms that would resonate with me. Knowing that I was a pastor, he put it this way. He said, Hey, let me just tell you, when I get out there in the woods and, and the sun's rising and I'm waiting on a deer to show up, that's my church. That's church for me. I, in my mind, I'm thinking, you just said that to the wrong dude. <laughs> like, that ain't church. What are you, preaching to deer? Are you even reading the Bible out there? Do you even know where your Bible is? You know, I, I, the curmudgeon in me wanted to come out and correct his usage of the word church. That is not church, buddy. Instead, I was just like, wow, you really like hunting, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I didn't say any of those things. It wasn't critical to him, uh, but in my mind, I sure was. But you know, Christian lingo, this is, this is why things are confusing to talk about, and meaning is a, a swirling mess sometimes with religion. It's because, especially with Christian lingo, we just toss these words around in so many ways and use this terminology, this Christian terminology in so many different spheres of life and things that, that we kind of lose touch and uh, uh, lose, lose uh, our grasp on the meaning of these words that we should hold so close to our hearts. If you just went out on the street today and asked people, what is church? It's hard to tell how they would answer that question. They might say, well, church is out in the woods shooting deer, <laughs> alone time with God. They might say, you know, church is just a place where old people like to gather and be cranky together most of the time. Or church is just a social network of people who say they're Christians, but half of them aren't. You know, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to say. And, and depending on people's um, association with church as they grew up, the culture within which they grew up, depending on their experiences that they've had, there's all sorts of different feelings or emotions that play into what we think things like church are. And so whenever we talk about a Christian concept like church, because of all the, the, the connotations that are attached to it, right, it just gets lost in translation a lot of times. So we are taking the, the time to go through piece by piece the components of corporate worship so that we don't lose that meaning, so that we truly do know what church is according to Scripture. We want to know the different parts of a worship service and why they are included in what we call church. And so we've been doing this uh, now for six weeks. The first week we talked about how all Christians belong in church at a church gathering routinely. The second week we talked about what that routine gathering of believers called church is meant to do in the life of a Christian. 
And then the third week, we talked about why we lace Scripture throughout this entire service from beginning to end. Week four, we talked about why we sing every single time we gather for corporate worship and why that's important. And then we talked about why prayer and prayer together, corporate prayer, is so critical to our lives uh, as believers. And so today, we are talking about the ordinances or the sacraments that we practice when we gather as the church. So the ordinance or sacraments that we just defined in that um, catechism, boy, there's a lot of church words today, right? They, they are describing baptism and communion. And so again, we got all these church words throw out, to throw out there. So again, no wonder why it's so confusing to, to keep track of all of these words and what they mean. And so it's a little bit of what I'm doing today. It's trying to define these words and, and tell you, here's why we have chosen these words over the course of, of Christian history and why they're so important and why we should still use these words. Sometimes when you hear these high church words, don't you just immediately... Uh, kind of want to tune out. It's kind of like when you talk to, uh, maybe, maybe if you're not familiar with um, you know, uh, car parts and you hear a mechanic talking about how he's rebuilt his engine and added all of these things and, uh, and, and you know, like, I don't know anything about cars. I'm terrible with cars. Like, I can change a tire and put gas in it and that's about it. Like, windshield wiper fluid, maybe, I, sometimes I can't even find that place. But, you know, when, it, when you get a mechanic talking about all the lingo, oh, I've got glass packs and straight pipes and all this stuff, I, I, I tune out. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what that does. It makes your truck loud. It sounds cool, uh, I guess, uh, you know. Um, I grew up in the hillbilly country, you know, southern Indiana, where people would talk that lingo all the time, and I was so uninterested. I loved the way the truck sounded, though. I mean, that was, was, was fun. But you know, sometimes we talk about church like this and people immediately, they don't know what we're talking about and they just immediately tune us out. We sound like that mechanic talking about his, his truck. But sacraments and ordinances, those, those are two things describing the same thing. It's describing communion and baptism. And the reason we use those words, sacraments or ordinances, is because it helps us to attach some weight to what we're doing. So let's take that word sacrament first. That is a Latin word. It come, uh, let's rewind back to first century Roman culture. It's, it's the Greek word sacramentus, or sacramentum. Sacramentum, yes. <laughs> I don't speak Greek, if you haven't noticed, but I can read, and I write stuff down. Sacramentum, it's an oath. And so if you were enlisting in the Roman army in the first century, you would take a sacrament, a sacramentum. You would take an oath to pledge your allegiance to your commanding officer and to Rome and their army. And so first century Christians noticed this and they're like, hey, we need a word to describe what we're doing whenever we have communion or baptisms. Well, we're going to call them sacraments. They are oaths. They are vows that we take. Only we are pledging our loyalty and our commitment, not to the Roman army or the Roman culture, we are pledging our allegiance to Christ in his kingdom. This is how we do that. We take communion and we get baptized. Those are our oaths to God. They are our sacrament uh, in which we take part in. And these are sacraments that were instituted by Christ himself, as we just read in that catechism. Turn to Luke 22, if you marked that place in 
I'm going to open it up here. Here's an example. This is the institution of the Lord's Supper. That's the title of the paragraph in Luke 22, starting at verse 14. I'm just going to read through verse 20. This is one of uh, several spots you can go to in the Gospels where you see Jesus instituting communion. He did this, of course, at the Passover meal. It says, And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given, given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourse- among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after cup, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. So there we have it. This is something that we do that symbolizes this oath that we are taking to Christ every single week when we gather. When you gather, do this in remembrance of me. And so that's why we're doing it. That's why we're taking this oath every single week because that's how Jesus said you should do church. When you assemble, when you gather in this assembly of church, this is what you do. You remember me and what my death, what my suffering means to you. And so it helps to use a word like sacrament because we're taking that oath. We're pledging our allegiance over and over and over again. It's, it, it adds to the magnitude of this experience that we get to have each other, we're, with, with each other. We're, we're taking vows. Yeah, I think about my wedding day and taking vows of commitment, making an oath before a congregation and before God, uh, promising to love Amanda until death. Well, that's, that's how we should think about communion. Every time we, we put the bread and the cup in our hands or every time we uh, baptize someone, we are taking place, uh, we're, we're, we're taking a vow. This is, this is who I am. We should be doing it with the same intensity of an oath that we would commit to for the rest of our lives. And so when we get baptized, this is how we first affirm our faith in Christ and take this oath. And when we take communion every Sunday, this is how we reaffirm that same loyalty and commitment to Christ over and over and over again. And so we use words like sacrament so things like that are repetitive like communion so they don't become mindless because that's the big fear with people a lot of times when it comes to taking communion each and every week. That's something that's uh, somewhat unique about our church. Some churches in the area take communion every Sunday. Some take it once a month. I know some churches that only take it in months that have five Sundays. And uh, there's all sorts of different patterns and reasons why churches do communion. And the fear there is like, oh, well, you know, we just don't want it to become overly routine and it won't mean anything anymore. Well, 
Okay, if you're going to say that about communion, what else are you going to say that about? Well, I don't want to go to church every week because it'll become overly repetitive and it won't mean anything to me anymore. Oh, well, I don't want to sing every time I go to church because it'll become overly repetitive and it won't mean anything to me anymore. Oh, well, I'm not going to pray every single day. It'll become overly repetitive. You see, you see where I'm going with this? Like that, that excuse, that it, it's like nails on a chalkboard to me. Because this is why we gather, because of the gospel. We want to we live a gospel-centered life in a gospel-centered church. And so that's why we participate in sacraments like communion, so that we can remember this oath that we have, this loyalty and this commitment to Christ, who is our King. We're expressing it. We can see it when we take communion together. So what about that word, Ordinance. Well, the, the word ordinance is, uh, you see the word ordain in, in there, and the root of that, it's to, to put in order. Well, so Jesus himself put this in order. He put these works in order, these rites, these ceremonies. He ordained them, therefore they are his ordinances. And so some churches prefer to use the word sacraments. Some churches prefer to use the word ordinances, and they're both great. And that's why in that catechism, we just use them both, because we'll use them both here interchangeably, because they both uh, communicate something. This is something that Jesus himself has mandated for us to do. Take communion when you're together. Baptize new believers. This is what you should do. Turn to Matthew 28. You'll see the mandate with great clarity here. This is the Great Commission down in verses 18 through 20. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is an ordinance that Jesus put into practice for his church. And so, administering communion, baptizing people that express faith in Christ, we're doing those things because Jesus told us to. And it doesn't get any more church than those two things right there. And so when we gather as the church, of course we want to do those things. Of course. I hope they're routine. That's what Jesus told us to do when we gather. All right, we want to, we want to see and remember the gospel and both of these things communicate the gospel to us. It's where we find our identity. I've had the privilege of doing so many baptisms in so many different places. I've done baptisms and, and you know, baptismals in churches. I've done baptisms in creeks and rivers. I've baptized uh, several people in the ocean, uh, in different oceans. And it's, it's just, it's an absolute privilege today we're doing it. And uh, this is sponsored by Coleman today. Uh, inflatable hot tubs. <laughs> We're trying something new. This is simpler than our other baptismal that we typically set up. And so an inflatable hot tub, man, we're hillbilly today. And this is, this is what, uh, this is mine. This is my backyard. So you'll see when you look closely at it, uh, there's cat prints. My cats love to sleep on top of it because heat rises, <laughs> right? And so we tried to wipe it down as best we can, but it, you'll see these little cat prints on it. And every day that it's set up, especially when it's cold outside, they're, on, they're laying on there like, I love this thing. So our cats love it as much as we do. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's an absolute privilege. 
an honor to get to baptize someone, and it's an absolute joy for all of us to get to witness it. It's an object lesson. Every single time we baptize someone, it's an object lesson. You know, Jesus, he, he died a sinner's death, and he rose again on the third day. His death conquered the consequences of sin and death in our life, and when he rose to life, he inaugur inaugurated this new kingdom that he's ushered in, a new kingdom in righteousness. And so when we get baptized, we go down into the water to associate our life and our beliefs with his death. I find my identity in the death of Christ and what it means for me. And so we go down into the water as if we ourselves are going down into the grave and we are dying. We are, our old self is being put to death. And when we come up out of the water, we're associating, associating our lives with his new resurrected life. And so we live a new resurrected life. We are a new creation, as Paul describes us, and living a life of righteousness in reflection of what he has done for us because we find our identity not only in his death, but also in his resurrected life. And so this is how Paul puts it. He said, we, we've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We find our identity in the gospel. And it helps us to watch someone get baptized even after we've been baptized so that we can remember what our identity is. What Christ has done is what means, it means everything to me. I'm associating myself with Jesus the Messiah. I'm with him. I'm pledging my allegiance in the act of baptism to the king who has redeemed me, who has saved me. And I'm not only pledging my allegiance to the king who has saved me, I'm pledging my allegiance to his people. And so this is another reason why it's such a joy to witness a baptism because it's a way to say, hey, it's another one of us. We're growing. God is still at work. His kingdom is expanding. And so it's such an encouragement, and I hope today that this ba these baptisms will be an encouragement to you in that way. Now communion, the sacrament of communion, it's another mandate that allows us to see the gospel. It allows us to again and again reaffirm our association with Christ and his gospel that saves us. So we remember that passage we read in Luke 22 those are words that Jesus spoke at the Last Supper. And so when he instituted communion, this was the Last Supper before his death, before he was crucified. He was gathering in Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And the Passover festival was meant to be this time every single year in which Jews would remember the Exodus. They would remember those plagues that took part in the Exodus and freed them from slavery to the Egyptians. And so this meal that they participated each and every year, it was, it was meant to be a teaching illustration to teach them their beliefs over and over and over again every year that they lived. And so they, they would remember specifically when they sacrificed the lamb in the 10th plague, and they, they took the, the blood of the lamb and they spread it on their doorposts, and God's judgment passed over them, and they were set free from slavery just after that 10th plague. So Jesus, 
at the Passover meal, he was taking the role as the host. And if you ever go to a Seder dinner or a Passover meal, in which that's like pastor goals, I would love to do one for us at some point whenever, I'm, whenever I grow up as a pastor. Someday we'll, we'll do, it's, it's on the bucket list. But he would, he would, he would play, take the, the role as host, and he would give, you, uh, give his disciples each part of the meal and explain the meaning of that part of the meal that associated with the exodus. And so he was doing this with his disciples at the Passover festival in Jerusalem, only he changed the rules. He changed it up. He said, at that point, I'm not going to use this meal uh, just merely to point back to the Passover lamb, but I'm going to use this meal to point forward to what I would do as the new and better Passover lamb. Now there will be another sacrifice from God. It will be his son. And his son's bloodshed will save all of God's people and set them free and redeem them. And so he was using it to point forward to something he was about to do. He was, he was attaching the meaning of his suffering before he took part in that suffering before the eyes of his disciples. And so it's no wonder then that his disciples were commanded to do this every time they would gather as the church and gather God's people. Remember the meaning of Jesus' death and resurrection and what it means for us. And so we are carrying on that tradition that Jesus himself instituted at the Last Supper. It's a, it, what an honor. Christians have been gathering weekly to take communion since that moment. And here we are about to do it today. Participate in communion and carrying on that tradition that's been going on every Sunday since that Sabbath there at the Passover festival. We use the word communion. You, you, we got to get back to make sure we uh, cover all these church words. I use the word communion because it emphasizes the fellowship that we have with God and the fellowship that we have with one another. And it's probably the most widely used term to describe this particular sacrament. But there are other ways to refer to it. And so another, another uh, word, another term that's used to describe communion is the Eucharist. And so the, it, that's a Greek word that we find in the New Testament. And if we were reading the Greek translation from that passage in Luke that I just read, you would see this word. And so he took the cup and gave thanks. That's Eucharistio. He took the bread and gave thanks. That's Eucharistio, gave thanks. And so the Eucharist is a term to, de to describe communion because it comes right out of those passages that communion was instituted uh, by Christ. And so the Eucharist is just saying, gave thanks. We're, this, is a, this is a time of giving thanks to God for what he has done for us in and through the gospel. Still yet other churches, they may describe communion as the Lord's supper or the Lord's table because they want to or prefer to emphasize the truth that I just mentioned, that we're carrying on this tradition that started at the Last Supper, just before Judas betrayed Jesus and he was arrested and then uh, taken away to be uh, judged and crucified. So again, a lot of different words, a lot, of, a lot of church lingo out there over the years. It's hard to sort out. That's why this is important. I think it's so important to talk about these words and to say these words rather than avoid them or tune out. Define them and utilize them. And I think when you really think about the words like sacrament and ordinance and uh, like when you dig into the meaning of that and why Christians chose that word, 
they're really good reasons. I, I like to think of communion as this oath. I like to think of baptism as an oath, as, as a commitment of loyalty and, and associating our lives in, a, in this formal way, in this visible way that expresses the gospel before our eyes. So I, I want to give you just five practical ways to make the most of these ordinances when we participate in them as a church. I told you every single Sunday when, as we work through this corporate worship series, I want to get really practical. These are just five practical things to, to do. Uh, here, here's number one. If you haven't been baptized and you believe the gospel, you should be baptized. <laughs> that seems like a really obvious one, right? Take the oath. Enlist. Right, go public with your faith. So if, if that's something that's been on your heart, something that's been on your mind, let's talk about it. If you believe this, if you're practicing the Christian faith in the sense that you're believing this gospel and pursuing a deeper understanding of it and you're praying to God and you're already active in this relationship, how come you haven't been baptized yet? What are you waiting on? Let's do this. Let's talk. So let's meet. That's my number one practical piece of advice for you. Here's number two. And I mentioned it earlier. Whenever you witness someone getting baptized, take a moment to remember your baptism. Take a moment to remember how God saved you. That's the reason you are acceptable to God, because of his gospel that you are seeing before your eyes, that you're watching someone associate their life with. Remember the day you were baptized, and remember the day you took that oath. That meant something to you to the point in which you still think about it. Take time to think about it today. Now, that may be tricky for some of you for various reasons and because of the different practices of baptism and things like that, or, or depending on what age you got baptized. I know that I was, I was 11 years old whenever I got baptized. And so, man, do I know... What, then what I know now about the gospel? No. <laughs> Very, I had a, a childlike understanding of the gospel. I, I, I uh, believed, I prayed, I went to church and those sorts of things. I was practicing the Christian faith as good as an 11-year-old kid can. But don't get wrapped up in your performance. When you think about your baptism like that, sometimes I'm tempted to think like, oh man, I was 11 years old, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, and and every, about every 10 years, you look back 10 years ago and you think, I didn't, never, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> you know, you, you, ideally you get smarter as you age, right? And you learn stuff. But you know what? This faith isn't about my performance. This has been a consistent thing in my life from the time that I was a child. And so... I, I can think about that baptism in a very positive way. You know, if, if I were getting baptized today, would I attach a lot more meaning to it? Uh, sure, absolutely, but it doesn't make it count anymore. It doesn't make that baptism any less meaningful. No, that was an important part of my life, and it still is, but I would encourage you to remember your baptism. Jesus saved you. That's why you're acceptable. You, you are a sinner. Your performance doesn't factor into your salvation. You're a fallen human being, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So take time to remember your baptism today. Number three, when we're taking communion, 
there's something you'll hear me say every single week, and if you're not careful, that can become one of the things that becomes uh, just very perhaps mundane and routine, and, 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 and you don't even hear me say it. Take a moment for self-examination and repentance. I don't say that just because it's the formal thing to say in that moment. You don't want to take communion in an unworthy manner. You don't want to take communion in a mindless, meaningless way. This is a time for you to reflect on how you're living your life. This is a time for you to reflect on the areas of your life that you need to change your mind about stuff. You need to repent. You're thinking about stuff all wrong in certain areas of your life, and you need, to, you need to correct that because it's not godly. It's a time to remember those things and to repent. And then when we take communion, we find that hope that, that we are pledging our allegiance to every week, that hope that reminds us that we're not saved based on our performance, that this repentance that we take place in, in our lifestyle, it's not something that like we're, we're trying to earn God's love. It's a lifestyle that we live because we've been redeemed, not so that we can be redeemed. It's because Christ has saved us. We don't use repentance as a means of obtaining the grace of God. We repent because we have been saved by the grace of God. And so before you take communion, be real with yourself. Be honest with yourself. You think God doesn't know what's going on in your life? You think he doesn't notice the sin that's taking place? Be honest with him about it. Think about it. Pray about it out loud. And then remember the hope that you have. Because when you think about the sin in your life, it can be a very depressing thing. It can be a downer. You can think, man, am I, am I hopeless or what? I just keep falling in the same rut over and over again. I, I can't stand the way I talk to these people in my life. Or I can't stand the way that I feel about this person, this individual. Or I, I, I can't, there are, you have this you know, addiction or whatever that you're just constantly battling and, and just letting yourself down. Well, pray about those things. Change your mind about those things. And then remember the hope that we have in Christ. We are saved by grace. We're not perfect. We want to participate in Christ-centered repentance, though. It's a lifestyle for us. And number four, when we take communion, this is a special time to feel united to the body of Christ. This is another reason why it's so important to gather routinely with the church. It's because you as an individual, you need to feel the unity and peace that we have with believers uh, around the world, but especially locally. You're not alone in this. You are not living out this faith alone in a community of one. <laughs> You're living out your faith with other Christians with the same struggles. You are united together. We are a family. We're blood relatives only through the blood of Christ. And so we have a special connection with one another that means something. We don't give up on family. We have awkward family conversations with each other because we care deeply for one another. It works just like a real family. And so just in the same sense when you gather your family at home around the dining room table, it brings you closer together, doesn't it? Whenever you gather with your family at Thanksgiving, it brings you closer together. Some of you, that's your favorite time of the year because you don't do it often enough. So when you finally do get everybody around the table to spend time with each other, it really means something to you. And it really brings you close together, close to one another. You're investing in one another, even those relatives that you're not, they're not your favorite, <laughs> but they're blood. 
And so you invest in them. You care for them. What happens in their life matters to you. It's the same here. We are connected as a family, and when we take communion with one another, it's like we're gathering around the table for the supper, the last supper, to remember how we are relatives. We're blood relatives. And so number five, we should long to see more people baptized, and we should long to see more people take communion each and every day. Uh, each and every day that we gather. I know sometimes people will ask me, how's your church doing? Or is your church growing? You know, one of the first things I look at is uh, not so much like, well, how many baptisms did we have that year? That's, that's an indication, sure. But I think communion is one of the most important places to look. How many people are taking communion every week whenever you gather? That's, that right there, that's, the, that's a sign of health are people wanting to routinely gather and not just gather, but also take communion when we gather. That's a great sign of health for a church. And so that's why personally, my personal prayer, it doesn't make any sense to me for churches that don't take communion every week. I, I, I grew up in churches that didn't take communion every week, and that became a conviction later in my life. And so when we planted the journey, that was the first thing I wanted to do. We we're going to take communion every single week because that's what Christians did when they gathered. And that's what they still should do when we gather because that's the point. We're gathering to center our hearts on the gospel and we see the gospel and we take communion. And so we should have a desire for more and more people to participate in this. And so many Christians lose out on that experience when they abandon the church, when they stop going routinely. They miss out on that closeness that, that family connection that we're meant to develop when we come around the table, the Lord's table. So just a closing thought here. Like, this is why this is important to, to sort through all of this stuff so that this stuff has meaning to us. You know, when people complain, well, I'm afraid it's, it's going to be mindless. I'm afraid it's not going to have any meaning. Um, fix that. If, if we do something here that feels mindless to you, then the question isn't, uh, are we doing something mindless or why are we doing something mindless? The question is, why are you doing something mindless? There is very specific meaning attached to every component of this service. That's why we're doing it. Make sure you know why. And I think that's why, what makes this sermon series worth our time is so that we know why we are doing what we're doing. We're not just doing it for the sake of doing it or because we think that's what we're supposed to do. We know that's what we're supposed to do, and that's why we're doing it. And if you know the answers to those questions, this, the gravity of this experience every week is gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna mean so much more to you. It's not something you're just gonna let go of in your life. It's not something you're just gonna drift away from. And if you do find yourself drifting away from it, if you have the meaning right, when you drift away from it, it's gonna bother you. And God's going to use that meaning that he implanted in your mind through the Holy Spirit, through his word, to draw you back or to drag you back to his gathering of his people. So it's so important that we know why we are doing these things. And, you know, when it comes to church, of all of these messages, and when it comes to communion and baptism, as I mentioned earlier, it doesn't get any more church than this right here. And so make sure as we take communion together today and as we witness these baptisms, you remember the meaning behind these things. Let's pray and we'll participate in them together.
Lord, I thank you so much for the, for the sacraments uh, that you have instituted in your word and directed us to do, mandated for us to do. Lord, help us to remember why these are so important to, to participate in them. And, and Lord, I pray for each and every individual here today that as we associate our lives, that we would think of these things as oaths, as promises, as vows that we are making to you. Lord, that we can remember this relationship that we have to you and how it's possible. It's the gospel. Help us to see it as we hold it in our hands and see it as we baptize your children. Thank you, Lord, for, for these directions, and may we make much of you as we participate in them. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray.